0: And welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats Podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And welcome to a considerably better week, but also one that has its fair share of recruiting news to talk about. We're just going to start from the very top with the transfer portal commit from the University of North Dakota. Shout out Blake Crawford, uh, Easton Kilty. Formerly number 77, he will not be wearing that number unless he challenges Carver Willis to fight club and wins. But this is actually a massive pickup as he was rated as a four-star transfer coming out of North Dakota, committing to K-State. He is a three-year starter at the left tackle position with four total years of experience. So we're getting an experienced left tackle to maybe give the young guns like Pastore another year of development because, you know, offensive line is very much a developmental position, not one that you can just step in and be great at immediately unless you're like a five-star. But, yeah, Zach... I keep calling him Zach Kilty. It's Easton. Easton Kilty is a massive pickup for a line room that is losing a lot of snaps next year.
1: Yeah, no, I'm very happy um, with this. We haven't really done a whole lot... In um, the climate era, in terms of bringing in offensive linemen transfers, the most that we've seen is a little bit in the way of Juco guys, but not really non Juco transfers. I think this might be the first transfer in from a four year institution for the offensive line room uh, in the climate era, or at the very least, it's one of the first and definitely the highest profile uh, that we've seen. But I, I think the valuable thing with uh, Easton Kilty beyond just having experience at the most important, arguably, offensive lineman position, uh, is, you know, he spent his last year left tackle, but he has, I think, spent a little bit of time on the interior as well. So he's actually listed as an interior offensive lineman transfer, but he's versatile enough to where we can put him where we need to. And I think that's really valuable, because we're going to have a lot of new pieces next year in the offensive line, and having a talented guy like Easton Kilty to have a little bit of flexibility what I, he'll be on the left side of the line but i think he could be our left tackle or our left guard depending on just how our personnel shake out but i i like i i, I kind of like what we're uh i'm setting up here uh with uh um, with kilty and bringing him in as a one-year stop gap to I, like you said help younger guys like john pastore he's got one more year uh, under their belt uh, but also that doesn't mean that we're not going to see a lot of John Pass story because we know that uh, Connor Riley likes to shuffle guys around uh, and rotates a lot more than most other teams do more than any coach I've really seen on the offensive line because he, he does sub guys in and out depending on the drive uh, so the we could see Kilty play a couple different positions I bet during his time at K-State uh, but as far as offensive linemen pickups go, you can't ask for much better than this, because it is tough to get good offensive tackles in the portal. Yeah. Though Those guys are few and far between, and they also cost a pretty penny, yeah. generally speaking. <laughs> uh, but k going, shutting this one down really quickly with a guy who's considered to be a pretty under-the-radar uh, person, just a very low-key person. He had not tweeted since 2019, before he entered the portal. So this seemed like the sort of guy that would be right up K-State's alley with at least some of that. And so hopefully that means that he'll translate pretty well. But I can't really say enough about it. And this was a, a really great addition to kind of stop the bleeding because I think a lot of fans were getting really worried about the portal uh, and how many guys were losing. But this is a fantastic first pickup to get in the portal.
0: Yeah. And just a quick note on his positional versatility, he has logged 695 snaps at left tackle, two at left guard, 1,413 at right guard, and 206 at right tackle. So he's played every position at least 100 times except for left guard and center. So, and also he's graded out really well everywhere he's gone, you know, 84.9 pass blocking grade, total of 83 total grades. So it's... He's a really solid pickup, and with this, I think my ideal offensive line would probably go Pastore, Laney, Panzer, Kilty, and then Carter. That would be my ideal line, but I'm not in the room. I don't get to make those decisions, and honestly, it's probably for the best that I don't get to make those decisions.
1: Yeah, I'm really interested to see how uh, it shakes out just because you... Really the only guy I think that we can kind of write in is Panzer right now. Everyone else is kind of up in the air. I mean, there's guys we can feel good about starting. Like a guy, Andrew Langang, I feel pretty confident. Carver Willis is almost certainly starting. But there's still going to be a lot of uh, room for flexibility, uh, not just in the names we see, but in the positions they play. Because uh, there's a lot of... Because Gang I think initially, um, looked like a guy that could play tackle when he got to K-State, but now we're almost writing him in as an interior guy. So there, there's a lot of different shapes that the offensive line uh, could take next year, and it's exciting to get a nice addition like this early.
0: Yeah. So before we talk about the high school commits, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. And welcome back to this episode of the Aggieville Cats podcast where we're covering a little bit of recruiting for the football team including the newest wide receiver commit that being the four-star Trey Davis from Troop Texas 6'1", 171 receiver who I believe had upwards of 20 touchdowns his senior year. Uh, his industry rating is 88.78, but On3 and ESPN both have him listed as a 4-star. 24-7 has him at an 89, bordering on a 4-star. And then Rivals is sitting with its thumb in the corner with 5-6. But <laughs> this is another example of a really solid pickup. And I think what this shows to me is that the I think it's very demonstrative of a shift in recruiting philosophy for how Middleton is going to recruit wide receivers because both Trey Davis and Jacques Spradley Demps have borderline identical skill sets in that they are just playmakers right now. They're not the insanely polished technical receivers that we saw from like Jace Brown last year. But what they are is they're home run hitters who you just find a way to get the ball. And I'm guessing that Middleton's strategy is just have as many playmakers as they can, and then just teach them to play receiver, which I actually quite like as a strategy.
1: Yeah, because um, it's been a while, really, since we've had a, a game-breaker playmaker uh, at, in the receiver room. I mean, the closest that we've had in quite some time was probably Byron Pringle. And he had a pretty serious drop problem uh, as well, which I think people do forget about. But I mean, the last time we had a true game-breaker receiver, of course, was Tyler Lockett, and that was a decade ago now, which is scary to think about. (laughs) But I really like Trey Davis because of his versatility. And I I think you put it well, we will need to teach him receiver because a lot of what he does is just kind of easy stuff to get the ball in his hands. Uh, a lot of jet sweeps, Uh, they put him at running back some, uh, there's, he's a lot like Jax Bradley Demps in in that sense, and uh, they're just looking for various ways to get him the ball, like a a Devo Samuel archetype of receiver, where they're just more of an athlete than a receiver, but we need trey davis to be able to do more than that that we need to help him develop his route running abilities and uh getting a better release but when he has the ball in his hands he's a great great athlete uh with incredible speed and is one of the more athletic guys that we've gotten in the receiver room in quite some time the last two years for receiver recruiting have been pretty great uh especially compared to what uh we've gotten used to so I'm very happy with this addition, uh, and I am hopeful that he'll stick around and develop, and what, at least one of the two guys between Trey Davis and Jax bradley Dempse will break out. Uh, which I mean, because this past year we did see true freshman can crack the rotation at receiver. Jace Brown, uh, I really came onto the scene uh, this season, so it's not out of the picture, out of the realm of possibility for. Someone to rise up the duck chart. Yeah, no, far from it. So. But another <clears throat> another four star ad for um uh, State.
0: Yeah. And I I I just think it's really interesting. I, I think Trey Davis, when you mix in the skill sets with the current receiver room, is where it especially gets interesting. And like you said, we still need to teach him to play receiver. But from what we've heard, Middleton's a really good receivers coach. <laughs> Who actually knows how to coach receivers to do things such as getting open, which you could argue is pretty important. <laughs> but yeah, this is also a power five, well, power five, in parentheses, coup from Washington State. He did flip from Wazoo to K State, so you know this is it's a legitimate recruiting win. And don't let anyone take that from you. You, as if you were. On the staff, if you were, hello. But <laughs> next up is going to be Devon Rice, the running back from Bishop Gorman in Las Vegas, Nevada, rated as a three-star pretty much across the board. This is a flip from Hawaii, and this pickup reminds me a lot. Of, and you can tell me if you think I'm insane for saying this. It reminds me of. It reminds me of a less shifty, but somehow faster Joe Jackson. And I say that because Devon Rice is a
1: burner. (laughs) You see, I did not get a ton of Joe Jackson from Devon Rice, but I got a lot of Dylan Edwards from Devon Rice. When I, I watched his highlights, to me, the very first player and the only player I thought of was Dylan Edwards and his play style and how he's... Just completely a home run hitter. that That's his entire role as a running back. Uh, he's undersized, but he just gets chunk play after chunk play after chunk play. And when it looks like someone has an angle, it doesn't matter. I mean, he's, no just he's just faster. He's just faster. Oh, you think yeah, man? No, you don't. Yeah, he is just, he is very, very, very similar in his play style, in, in my mind. Uh, to Dylan Edwards. I, I think that they're uh, incredibly similar, uh, and I, I think that there's a, a path for Devon Rice to get on the field pretty early at K-State just because of that game-breaking speed that a lot of people on our roster don't have. Uh, not many people on many rosters have. Uh, just he. And additionally, another thing that I think is big about him is that he comes from a a powerhouse uh, high school in Bishop Gorman uh, out in Las Vegas because that, that's a program that has just uh, been a consistent factory for great college players for a long time now. Uh, as long as I can remember, at least, they've been churning out great players. I mean, he was a, I'm uh, um, splitting carries with a, a Michigan commit. Uh, which is part of the reason that he was committed to Hawaii up until he uh, flipped to K State. He just kind of flew under the radar uh, like that, which is weird given that so many eyes are on Bishop Gorman games just because of how much talent they have. Uh, but he kind of flew under the radar because he wasn't the starter uh, in high school. But he still averaged, I think, like over 10 yards a carry over his mm-hmm. career, which is just absolutely <laughs> ludicrous. And. That yeah, should that shouldn't happen. That yeah. just
0: simply should not happen.
1: But, yeah, I I, I'm going with the Dylan Edwards comp personally, uh, because I I just think that their styles are so similar. Um, the yeah I, I do agree with you though that he could use a little bit more lateral quickness. Um, I I'd, I'd like to see him develop that, but his straight line speed is really impressive.
0: Yeah, I. I would describe him more as bendy than shifty when it comes to his lateral quickness which you know when you're running what it looks it genuinely looks like in on a team that has a bunch of burners it legitimately sometimes looks like he's running like a (laughs) 4-2 that is the type of game breaking speed that we're dealing with here. Plus, he's a little bit more advanced in terms of running back technique than you would maybe think for a backup running back. This isn't your average backup running back. This is the Bishop Gorman backup running back. So he understands how to press blocks at the line of scrimmage. He understands when and how to bounce runs based off of feeling leverage for linemen. That is something that, honestly, DJ Giddens doesn't do very often. And it's not because DJ's a bad back. It's just because that is something that takes so... It either takes so long to develop or you never develop it. And that's just something that Devon Rice has down in spades, is understanding leverage. And once you give him that single inch of leverage, he's gone. Like, you're not catching him. It's not happening.
1: I'm glad that you brought up as well that he's not the average back, because it's not just... Or the average backup. Uh, because it's not just that he has a Michigan commit in front of him, it's that being a major contributor for a program like Bishop Gorman, that says that you're probably going to, you would step into probably all but maybe 10 or 15 teams in the entire country and immediately be your starter. And a lot of that has to just deal with, you know, like, I don't know, other four and five, star, other schools that just have, like, crazy good running backs that'd be the only situation that you'd walk in not really immediately be the starter i would almost go as far to say that he could probably start for nearly every single high school in the state of kansas if he stepped on campus i can't think of any running backs right now other john price is up there but like i think that'd be a similar situation as gorman where uh you just split carries but it it cannot be overstated how I how great a pickup Devon Rice is. I think I think we're getting two really really talented running backs, and it's two guys that I think are completely flying under the radar right now as well. I think this Devon Rice pickup is not getting as much traction as it should. Uh, I this, this is probably going to go down as one of the more underrated signings of the climate era. I think uh, just because. Uh, he isn't the in-state guy so even though he's so similar to dylan edwards he just doesn't get that same notoriety immediately because he he doesn't have the in-state flair he doesn't have a fourth star next to his name uh there's all that but his film is honestly not that different from dylan edwards's film
0: other than a little bit of lateral well a lot dylan edwards was special in terms of lateral quickness but I think Devon Rice trades that for being much faster. <laughs> and much faster than Dylan Edwards. <laughs> but, yeah, I, here, here's a, the final question that I'll I'll leave off with for you. Do you think this is a more or less underrated signing than... I'm trying to think of who you and I thought was the most underrated signing last year. It might have been Jace.
1: That's what I was thinking in my head. I think it's early to tell, but If I were wagering a guess, I would say it's probably a little less. But that's also based on the fact that Jace became basically wide receiver one as a true freshman. And nobody saw that coming. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see what we get from Devon Rice. I don't expect him to become running back one. But I wouldn't be shocked if we saw him in some capacity as a true freshman. Yeah, because
0: I think you and I sort of projected Jace to kind of yeah. step in, be an automatic like wide receiver two or
1: three. Yeah, yeah we expect for one. We at the very least, I think, were pretty high on his ability to contribute early, if nothing else. Well, yeah. uh, we thought he was the most ready out of the receivers. We didn't think he was that ready though. Yeah, uh, like that—that that was a surprise.
0: We also may have gotten his ceiling wrong, but that's neither <laughs> here nor there.
1: Yeah, you win some, you lose some.
0: Yeah, so. we, we lose a lot, but. Yeah. <laughs> Now we can go into the loan transfer out, and this one hurts a lot. It's Kobe Savage. Uh, he will be transferring out. Uh, I believe he's taking visits to Oregon and Washington. If you look at the on-three transfer portal, he's projected to go to either Arkansas or Oklahoma State. No one really knows. I really hope it's on Oklahoma State. I don't want to deal with that. But, you know, it, it sucks because Kobe was the best communicator for the defensive backfield and you could always tell when he was on or off the field at any given time but you know to try and put a little bit of, of hope in people's hearts the comp we had for the guy I would assume it was developing right behind him also from Tyler Junior College Daniel Cobbs was just faster Kobe Savage which granted you and I have famously been not great at evaluating safeties. Uh, I say we, me, I've been notoriously bad at evaluating safeties even in the in-game scouting reports, but I have a lot of hope for people like Daniel Cobbs, for Colby McAllister to sort of step into the role a little bit more, Uh, people like McKendree Steiger hopefully to step up a little bit, but the one that I'm holding out the most hope for would be Daniel Cobbs, and obviously I hold no ill will towards Kobe Savage. The only time that I hold ill will towards people who transfer out is if they transfer out on bad terms, and then people around them or they themselves make it well known that they transferred out on bad terms. Gee, I wonder who I'm referring to. But, <laughs> it's, you know, no ill will if he ends up getting a bag, good for him, but it still kind of hurts to think about it.
1: Yeah, losing Kobe when I really was not expecting to lose him at all, uh, that was just not on my radar. This is the first transfer loss that has, I I think, both caught me by surprise and uh, been a big step back for uh, the starting lineup. Uh, Because we've had guys that have been step-backs with a starting lineup and haven't been surprising, but we've had guys that have been surprising that aren't necessarily the biggest losses. But I think this one checks both boxes and probably hurts the most. Uh, Even more so than Will Howard transferring, I think. Uh, Because this was pretty surprising. Uh, There was no indication, really, that this was going to happen. I didn't really spend the season operating under the assumption that he was going to transfer. And all of it just kind of came together out of nowhere almost uh which uh really sucks because he i think kind of became a fan favorite uh, in his two seasons at k-state i uh, started since day one and uh, there's just always been a uh, a um, bundle of energy on the uh, on the field and been one of the more vocal leaders of the defense so losing a guy like that it's tough to replace someone like kobe savage so it's a big loss for the secondary uh, going into next year. But I, I do share your optimism with a guy like Daniel Cobbs. Uh, I, I also am very high on him. We've seen him sparingly this year. Not a lot, but a little. And so hopefully we can see him again. Uh, maybe see him a bit in the bowl game. Uh, a guy like McKendree Steiger we'll probably see as well. And then there's guys like Jack Favres, uh that we saw early in the year get some playing time. And then there's even to be guys like uh, Wesley Wesley Fair that we've seen in garbage time a little bit that are true freshmen and given a little bit more time in the oven might really be ready to take on some more snaps next year.
0: Yeah. But on to the last bit of football news that's actually pretty bright, and that is Cooper Beattie was named a consensus all American, which first A who is surprised, and B. That is amazing. He has legitimate chances to be a first-round pick as an interior offensive lineman, which is exceedingly rare, especially in the modern NFL. But more importantly for K-State, he's been a key cog in an offensive line that at times went up and down. But the one consistent element was Cooper Beebe was going to be mauling people. And when he wasn't mauling people, he was preventing the quarterback from getting mauled. So, he's probably the best offensive lineman in K-State history. And, you know, this isn't a controversial take, but he belongs on the Ring of Honor.
1: Yeah, we're, we're not the first people to sing those phrases, uh, but we definitely won't be the last. Uh, also, for those who don't know, being a consensus All-American, it means that you're named an All-American by, I think it's the five major uh, services that are recognized uh, to do that which it's like the AP USA today and a few others of uh, the football coaches association One of them. There's two other ones. I can't think of right now, but you have to be an all-american all of those and It's really 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 hard to do that. There are not many uh, unanimous all-americans uh, Like Cooper Beebe. It's very difficult to to achieve that so him being able to do that is Really incredible, and I think it cements his status. I agree with you. I think he's the best lineman the K State's ever had. I don't think it's super close either. Uh, maybe I'll get some heat for that for guys like Nick Lecky and Ryan Littlejub, but like he's just that good. I think I I, I think the Cooper Beebe, in terms of his talent and impact on the field and what he's done for K State, I don't think many, if any, get close uh to matching him so I, i'm looking forward to seeing his name on the uh side of the stadium here uh, in the next decade ish because yeah it has to be at least five years i think from when they leave k-state for you to get up on the uh side of the stadium to join the ring of honor but it'll probably be longer than that because we'll have to coordinate everything with his nfl schedule that'll be difficult
0: yeah so congratulations to cooper beebe becoming a consensus all-american but that is all in terms of football now we can go into each of the respective casketball schedules starting with the men's casketball game up against LSU down in Baton Rouge was a 75 to 60 Wildcat victory and this was a you know I would argue that it was even more convincing than the score made it seem there was not really many points in this game where nerves set in outside of, like, the first 10 minutes. But even then, it was still a really solid game. Uh, you know, obviously, if you want to cover the starter stats, you get you get the fun ones.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I agree. The only time I was really worried was at the very beginning, because we were down by, like, 5 at the first media timeout. But after that, we were fine. Yeah. Um, but... Speaking of the beginning of this game, Kim Carter, uh, he started this game on fire. He had uh, 17 in the first half, ended with 21 points, uh, 7 of 18 from the field, 3 of 9 from three, made all four of his free throws, and he added eight rebounds, three fouls, four assists, four turnovers, a block, and two steals. Stuff the stat sheet. Yeah, so he did a little bit of everything and led K-State in scoring, and uh, his uh, um, return home, because he's a Louisiana native. Uh, um, Donalds Donaldsonville, Donaldsonville. Donaldsonville. Uh, or Donaldsville. It's one of those two. Uh, Cam Carter, he's from, he's from Louisiana, and he's pretty close to Baton Rouge as well. Uh, so this was a homecoming game for him, and he showed out. Uh, but Arthur Kaluma, he had another really efficient performance. Uh, this was able to push him over the edge to get him to be the Oscar Robertson National Player of the Week. Uh, so um, hats off to Arthur who who's really figured it out as of late and become the guy that I think we've been waiting for. So he had 17 points in this game. He was 6 of 8 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3, and made his two free throws. He had 11 rebounds, so he got a double-double, and three fouls, one assist, two turnovers, and a block. Really, really nice performance for Arthur Kaluma. Uh, I don't have the stats for the prior game in front of me, but as I recall, uh, he is like 20 of his last 25 from the field or something like that. Yeah, he is, because uh, he uh, went 10 of 13 in the, uh, the prior game. Oh, he's not uh, 21, so he's uh, something for 21. 16 for 21. 16 20. for 21. Yeah, so he's 16 for 21 from his uh, uh, last two games. So he's been on fire as of late, and he's been hitting his threes as well, too, going three for four in the game against LSU. He's been nails lately. Uh, Tyler Perry. He had 14 points and 37 minutes on 3 of 10 from the field, 2 of 7 from 3, made all 6 of his free throws. He had 2 rebounds, 3 fouls, 6 assists for 4 turnovers, and then 3 steals. So a fairly solid performance, but another kind of inefficient shooting night for Tyler Perry. But I, I think he just has to keep shooting those. I'm not too worried about it. Uh, Will McNair, he had a pretty nice day as well. He had 13 points in 28 minutes, five of six from the field, made three of his four free throws. Uh, then he had five rebounds. Four of them were offensive rebounds. So that's fantastic. And then one foul, one turnover, and three blocked shots for Will McNair. He got overshadowed by the wing and guard play, but Will McNair is fantastic in this game. That's a, You take that stat sheet from a late transfer big any day of the week.
0: Yeah, yeah. Will McNair has really exceeded expectation.
1: No doubt. Uh, Then David Gasson rounds out the starting lineup. He had six points, 26 minutes, three or four from the field. He, however, was brutal at free throw line, 0 of 6. did have seven rebounds and had an assist and three turnovers. So it's, again, very up and down for David Gasson uh, this year, to, to put it lightly. He has his moments, and then he has his not.
0: Has moments. <laughs> yeah, that, that's how I would describe him. <laughs> as a, yeah, <laughs> But in terms of the bench play, not a whole lot. Day-Day Ames had 20 minutes, 2 points, 1 of 5 from the field, 0 of 3 from 3. 3 assists, only 1 turnover, and 3 steals. Jarrell Colbert in a revenge game, quote-unquote, uh, played 7 minutes, 2 points, 1 of 2 from the field, 3 fouls, 1 turnover. And then R.J. Jones, uh, didn't score. Played eight minutes. O two from the field. O one from three. Got a rebound. Uh, two fouls and just one turnover. So again, pretty efficient shooting night in terms, especially from three, hitting a third of the three pointers. And you know, free throw line sixty eight point two percent. Not great. Not exactly what you take. But there's um, well, there's a reason for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, everybody not named David Gasan for k-state went 15 to 16 from the free throw line so that's incredible that's exactly what you want i mean if dave's going to go 0 of 6 from the free throw line but we still shoot almost 70 percent on our free throws that means that pretty much everybody shot free throws as well so yeah well even will mcnair the other big going three of four he has a really weird high arcing uh free throw shot that always looks like it's either gonna swish or completely miss the rim (laughs) and but if he's hitting it he's hitting it uh but yeah this was a pretty solid shooting night uh k-state started after the first media timeout in the first half they were kind of on fire uh they let it get a little closer at one point in the second half but they stretched it out this was a 15 point win uh but k-state controlled pretty much the entire way uh against an lsu team that's I'm um, pretty solid and had some quality athletes on it. This is I would say probably a better LSU team than they had last year. And this is an LSU team that nearly beat us last year. Uh, but we just kind of had their number. Uh they had a guy Will Baker who's really good that just didn't really do anything against us. So I I think all things considered I was pretty happy with this performance. A road Power 5 win is hard to come by. You absolutely take those.
0: Absolutely. The next game for the men's basketball squad will be December 17th, also known as This Sunday, up against Nebraska in Bramlage. So, obviously if you're not doing anything, go ahead and go see Bramlage. Go to Bramlage. Watch them take on a surprisingly conscious Nebraska squad.
1: Yeah, this Nebraska team is threatening to win an NCAA tournament game for the first time in its history. So, uh, they're, they're... a little bit of an unknown. They've beaten all the teams they should have beaten, and they've gotten blown out by some teams that they should have gotten blown out by. So it's hard to say what they are, but I'm definitely not taking them lightly. They're, uh, they're conscious. They are conscious, which is concerning. But getting Nebraska at home for the first time since they left the Big 12 will be fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And then the next one, which we'll talk about the day of, is the Wichita State game at the T-Mobile, so the Sprint Center in kansas city missouri i yep.
1: i will be at that game so there's a chance that i will run into some of you uh alley cats if you were listening so if you're going drop a line i guess i don't know you're gonna end up meeting scott wildcat again <laughs> yes i will well that was that was by complete chance that was just <laughs> luck but uh yeah so i'll be at that game looking forward to it i don't actually know how good wichita state is this year but it's uh it was pretty fun last year watching us uh, take down Nebraska fairly comfortably, and should be a pretty exciting game if rumors are to be believed uh, about what's going on at that game. So I, I think that there's a lot to look forward to beyond just the game. That one.
0: Sorry about making the faces while you were talking. I, their website sucks. Wichita State's website. Yeah, Wichita State's website's terrible. They're seven and three, uh, but one and one from away and one and two at neutral yeah. site games.
1: Now let's see. Let, let's see this
0: Very nice. Let's see their schedule. Uh, Rogers State was the exhibition. They beat Lipscomb, Western Kentucky, Friends, uh, Coastal, Liberty. They lost to uh, St. Louis, Norfolk State, Richmond. Lost against an OK Mizzou squad, which is where Caleb Grill ended
1: up. Yeah, he's actually injured. He's out for like two months.
0: Oh, damn. That's tough. Uh, And then lost to South Dakota State at home.
1: Which we beat South
0: Dakota State. Convincingly.
1: Yes. So, there, there's that. So, I mean, this is a team that we should beat. Uh, if we lose to Wichita State uh, at the Sprint Center, I, for, I, will, I will melt down.
0: <laughs> yeah. But that's all for men's Catskip Now we can talk about the team that you and I have been pounding the table for for um, six, seven months. The team we
1: actually like.
0: The team... <laughs> But this was an 84-56 to 56 Wildcat victory up against the Missouri Tigers. And they, they started off pretty slow. This was the, the Bill Snyder Classic in St. Joseph, Missouri. Which, uh, shout out to the people who decided that they were that ESPN Plus, that they convinced them to do a stream. I'm just happy there was one. I'm not going to comment on the quality of said stream. Beggars can't be choosers. <laughs> but... Outside of the first quarter, this was a really convincing victory. And the first quarter was a bit nervous for No. (laughs) Shots were falling, and two to drop 19, and then 36 compared to their 12 in the third quarter. (laughs) We decided that we were not playing anymore.
1: (laughs) I, unfortunately, was not able to watch the stream for this game. I was at a wedding. I I was able to watch the first five minutes of the fourth quarter on my phone, and... I kind of got the story the entire game from that, so I I called that good. And uh, Because I I didn't even realize that it started. It started earlier than I thought it was going to. And at halftime, I was like, okay, we're up by eight. That's fine. And then I checked again after the third quarter, and I was like, oh, what happened here? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Bullying. A lot of bullying
1: happened. (laughs) Yeah, but based on what I've seen, super, super, super convincing win for K-State uh a neutral site game against another power five school so this is another resume builder you beat a power five away from home k-state's tournament resume right now is really really fantastic i mean we're in a position at this point in time where the season ended today we're definitely hosting uh regionals for the NCAA uh, so getting some home NCAA tournament games for the first time in quite some time uh, that'd be pretty incredible
0: yeah. But in terms of starter stats, not a lot of the starters played the entire game. In fact, very few of them played anything more than ten minutes over half. But Ioka Lee, of course, led the way, twenty-eight points in twenty-six minutes, twelve of fifteen from the field, four or five on her free throw attempts, nine rebounds, one foul, one turnover, one block, one steal, and assist away from stuffing the stat sheet, which is officially something that I'm going to be tracking now. <laughs> But again, really efficient day for Myoka Lee. What else do you expect? Briley Glenn played 20 minutes, got 12 points, 5 of 7 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3. 2 rebounds, 2 assists, 2 turnovers, 0 blocks, and a steal. Serena Sundell in what was a homecoming game for her where she had a lot of family there. 22 minutes, 4 of 8 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3. Perfect on her two free throw attempts. 2 rebounds, 4 fouls, 8 assists, 1 turnover, 2 steals, 11 points. Then Gabby Gregory, 10 points on 27 minutes, 4 of 14 from the field, 2 of 9 from 3. 8 total rebounds, 1 foul, 2 assists, uh, 3 turnovers, and that is all. So again, Gabby's still trying to shoot her way out of a little bit of a slump. Eventually, I feel like she'll get out of it, maybe by the time conference play started.
1: Yeah, I, I think that she's almost certainly been told by Jeff Mitty that as long as we're dominating these games the way that we have been, just keep shooting yeah and i completely agree i think she needs to get as many shots up as possible uh, before conference play starts because we need her on her best uh, when we are facing uh, big 12 teams uh, day in day out but the things that really speak to me from that uh, starting lineup is of course Aoka Lee dropping 28 uh, on a very efficient day shooting 12 of 15 but also serena sundell eight eight assists of one turnover and double figure scoring Uh, quietly one of her best games of the year, uh, when uh, she's probably being overshadowed by Aoka Lee, of course. Um, It's hard not to be, but it's uh, still a really quality day, uh, where scoring was spread around, for the most part, for K-State.
0: Yeah, and then the last starter was uh, Jalen Glenn, who got three points, 36 minutes, one of seven from the field, which was the one three she made. Three rebounds, three fouls, three assists, one turnover, one steal. Plus, she just stuck to anyone that she was told to, like glue, such as the Jalen Glenn tradition. (laughs) But you get the bench players, which includes the. On a team that has Ioka Lee, Serena Sundell, and Gabby Gregory, somehow, somehow, the first player off the bench, who is also 5'6, manages to be one of the most exciting. (laughs)
1: Yeah, of course we're talking about Taryn Sides here. Uh, she played 20 minutes and had 8 points from 3 of 7 from the field, 2 of 5 from 3. She had 4 rebounds, 3 fouls, and 6 assists to 0 turnovers. So another fantastic day as a distributor for Taryn Sides. She has been even more Division 1 ready than I think we were thinking, and we expected her to play immediately. And She's coming along much faster than I had ever thought that she would. Uh, I, again, wasn't able to watch, but I heard that she had at least one great pass again. She had one behind-the-back pass and one no-look pass. She is the best
0: passer on this team, and she might be the best passer between both the men's and women's teams. And the only reason, like, the only person who can compete, and I know this is going to sound reactionary. I know this is going to sound like, okay, really? No, 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 the way she passes is a near mirror of how Marquise Noel passes except for maybe she jumps less.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I don't think that's a horrible exaggeration. Uh, for I would comp her on the current men's team to Day-Day Ames, I think, because I think Day-Day is the best uh, pure passer uh, right now uh, on the men's team. But Taryn Sides though, is just on a different level, and she's been fantastic as a true freshman, no less. So I hope that she's able to continue this level of play. Freshmen normally hit a wall sometime in early February, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. Uh, generally, the uh, difficulties and length of conference play generally start to catch up to true freshmen, but she's been better than we thought that she would be up until now so far, so maybe that will continue. Uh, but going again down the list uh, for our bench players, uh, Gisela Sanchez, she played 20 minutes and had 8 points, 4 of 7 from the field, missed 1-3. She had nine rebounds as well, including three of them on the offensive side, and then she added four assists to just two turnovers, a block, and a steal. So she stuffed the statue as well. The only thing she didn't have was a foul, and that's fine. And free throws. And free throws. That's fine though. Like, <laughs> like, if she's not fouling, that's fine, and free throws are just a bonus. But she's doing just a little bit of everything. Uh just two points and one rebound away from a double double. Getting a block, getting a steal, four assists. That's really quality stuff from Gisela Sanchez. If the three starts falling a little more consistently for her, which it has started to trend that way, uh, then she's going to be a really dangerous player for K-State. Uh, she's been very quality uh, so far this year for, for K-State, especially as of late. Uh, Ziana Walker uh, played 18 minutes and had four points, 2-7 from the field, o oh, three 3 from three. She did not have seven rebounds, though, uh, and that was it. She had a foul, too. Uh, the 4.7 rebounds one foul and that does it for Zion walker uh, and then after that uh, nobody after uh, Zion walker scored but we did see four more players Jamea harris heavenly greer eliza Moppin. they all played three minutes jamia harris had a rebound a foul and a turnover so a very eventful three minutes for Jamea harris uh, heavenly greer and eliza Moppin, they each fouled once and then amani lester came in and played two minutes she didn't register any stats uh but that does it for um, the statistics from this game. K-State, 25 assists as a team with just 11 turnovers. Really good stuff. Six steals. Uh, only shoot 24% from three. Uh, so could do a little better there. But they still score 84. They make 48% of their shots from the floor. They just absolutely suffocate and dominate a team zoo Mizzou that I should have at least probably had the horses to stick around in this game. Yeah,
0: because they were actually a pretty good shooting team going into this game.
1: Yeah, but this K-State defensive team, uh, this is one of the best defenses uh, for basketball, men's or women's, that I've ever seen at K-State. Maybe the best. Uh, they they have been phenomenal this year, and they've really bought into defense as their identity, but they still have a lot of fun offensive weapons, and... Even a team that has defense of their identity is dropping 84 on a power five opponent. So that is really encouraging. There's a lot to like about this team, and they just keep winning right now. They're about to hit a difficult stretch. Not necessarily in terms of the level of competition, but the amount of games that they're playing.
0: Yeah. And before we get into that, I just seriously, just imagine yourselves in a situation where you immediately think you get a break. After you've been gap goaded because you can't do anything on offense. You think you get a break because someone breaks a three, and then a six foot six monolith just comes in and immediately <laughs> shoots like 80% from the field. This isn't basketball anymore. This is warfare. This is a war crime. We're we're pulling out chemical and mechanical weapons up against random teams. And I gotta I I gotta say I'm enjoying it.
1: I mean, it, it is fun. This is a fun team to watch because it's the first time in quite some time where K-State uh, athletics has had a team that is just genuinely better than pretty much everyone it takes the floor against. The only exception has been the national runner-up from last year, and we've still beaten them two times in the last two years.
0: Yeah, and it's still and that team is basically just one player. Yeah, who happens to be like the best women's college basketball player in history. Yeah, that just
1: the, happens to people. Yeah, that, there's not much you can do about that, really, but. It's uh, this is such a fun team to watch, and I think people are really catching on uh, to that as well because they just keep winning. Uh, the polls aren't really catching on. The coaches poll they're still all the way down at 16, which is stupid, crazy to me. Uh, pretty much every uh, um, computer model uh, that does women's college basketball rankings has K State as a top 10 team right now. I've seen a, I've seen as high as like four. Yeah, this, this k team is really good, and it's very highly thought of by the people that actually watch uh, women's basketball. Uh, the people who just kind of put a ballot out, uh, they obviously aren't going to think as highly, but they just don't know what they're watching. So that, that's all good. And I, to be fair, it is hard to keep track of every single program. I get that. But uh, So this is a K-State team that despite being a top 15 team in most of the major polls, is probably still a little underrated.
0: Yeah, which is ridiculous. <laughs> When's the last time that a K-State team has been ranked in the top 15 and then ranked in, like, top 10, sometimes top 5 in computer models? And we can still sit together and are it? Ever? Um, for
1: women's ball, I don't even know. Uh,
0: across but, all sports, what, maybe 12 BCS football?
1: Yeah, I think that the best argument you maybe have is, like, some of like the mid and late 90s football teams that were really, really good, but they just kept getting steamrolled by Nebraska, which because everybody did back then, like, like, like some of their teams like 96, 97 were fantastic. It's just that Nebraska existed at the wrong time. So, <laughs> or, uh, so you probably have to go back to, to that sort of era, but yeah, this team is pretty heavily underrated right now. Uh, granted, we're about to learn a lot about them, Uh, here over the next uh, couple of months, Uh, and even in early January. They're going to have some really tough games against some really tough opponents, Uh, and things are going to get real here pretty quick for the uh, women's basketball team.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're going to receive the ultimate test of their legs in uh, this upcoming game just to see how long they can stay standing, basically, because they have three games in four or five days. You have Northern Florida, or North Florida, my fault, on Saturday, Oral Roberts on Monday, and then Southern. Southern what? Just Southern. Southern University. (laughs) Southern on Wednesday. So we're going to learn a lot about this team and their ability to just stay standing, basically. The good news is that even if they do lose their legs a little bit in terms of shooting, they can still rely on their defense, which in a vacuum, none of these three teams should really be threatening. It's just the proximity of the games themselves that is somewhat worrying. Yeah.
1: And something tells me that that's an intentional choice by Jeff Mitty, uh, or at the very least I'm going to say it is in my head, uh, to give this team, even though it's on paper easier competition, a reason to view these games as a challenge, and to add an additional hurdle to cross. Because I think he knows that this team can handle it. Uh, I don't think he would have done this with, like, last year's squad. Uh, But this year, uh, I think it makes sense to give them a challenge like this and then give them a 10-day break after, because they'll be getting a Christmas break uh, right after this, and then they'll be in conference play.
0: Yeah. So it'll be really exciting times for the women's casketball squad.
1: This should be really fun. Uh, This is almost conference play time, so that's when things will get really serious for them. I'll be at the game on Monday with uh, my my family, so I'm looking forward to that, uh, watching them take on Oral Roberts, but uh, hopefully should see a dominant game, uh, all things considered, or uh, at least there's no reason that we shouldn't, but it's uh, been a really fun team to watch so far. Again, if you haven't had a chance to watch them, every game is at least on ESPN+. Plus. They have some games in January, they're going to be on ESPNU.
0: Including Oklahoma well. and Texas, will be massive games. Yeah, yeah that's
1: uh, two games back-to-back. January 10th, Wednesday, uh, Oklahoma on ESPNU. And then January 13th, Saturday, uh, Texas on ESPNU. Both of those are home games. And they are back-to-back. That, that is a huge homestand for the women's basketball team.
0: Absolutely. There will be fun times for the Middy Cats. but as of right now, do you have any final thoughts?
1: Uh, no, I don't think I do. Other than... Just um, nice to have a, a not disastrous week.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's nice to not have to start an episode with, well, this sucks. But that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to follow or contact the show, you can follow us just about anywhere at Aggieville ACATS. cats And if you want to email us, we're AggievilleAllyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I'm at A-C-Edward00.
1: I'm at Connor Balthasar, capital C, capital D.
0: And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville AlleyCats merch store, link in our podcast and Twitter bios. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville AlleyCats podcast. Or come rain-shy and anything in between, we're going to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.